This is a GRDC podcast. You may have noticed slugs emerging over the past few seasons. So what to do about them and when? We have some good news and some bad news. Hello there, I'm Prue Adams. Conditions have been favourable for slugs to slide into regions that don't normally see them, and there have been increased populations in places that already do battle. The good news is there's a range of things growers can do to minimise the impact of slugs. The bad news is that you probably should have started your slug control last spring, because as with just about everything else, prevention is better than cure. I spoke with slug expert Dr Michael Nash, who is an applied invertebrate ecologist consulting to agriculture. Well, I think most growers battled with slugs last year in those areas where they're used to having slugs, and that's because there was a favourable spring in 2020 and then very good conditions for slugs to breed up in numbers in 2021. And what we're seeing now in 2022 is a lot of slugs attacking canola in traditional areas such as southwest Victoria, Tasmania, Kangaroo Island, places like that. But we're also seeing this season, after the wonderful season farmers had last year and particularly with the wet harvest as well, we think though the long cool growing season in the spring of 21 has led to slugs also causing damage in areas in southern New South Wales, northeast Victoria in particular, but also some other traditional areas, say the Wimmera areas of Victoria as well. And I think it's all to do with the breeding conditions last season, but also the season before. So what can growers do? And I get that it's about prevention as much as cure in this case. Yes. So understanding the problem, understanding soil types. So we know heavier sodic soil types make it easier for slugs to survive over the summer in the ground, but also understanding the triggers. So where high risk years are, So they may make choices at sowing about what crops to sow, but also if they are sowing high value crops such as canola, I think, you know, there's some contracts out there that are looking very, very favourable this year, but there's a lot of cost associated with growing that. So making sure they have the right insurance. So that is baiting after seeding to ensure that they're protecting their canola seedlings from the ravaging hordes of slugs as they come out of the ground over an extended period while the crop is being established. The other interesting thing is in high risk areas is last year we saw, and I haven't heard any reports this year, but the risk to wheat in particularly high risk areas, such as where there's more than 550 mil rainfall, where it's sown into stubbles in cold, wet conditions, where burning hasn't occurred, all those management factors that increase the risk. The simple thing that growers can do is be proactive, be aware of the likely problems and protect their crop with baiting after sowing to ensure that seedlings get off to the best start possible. So what is the best baiting regime and what baits are there? So it's been fantastic working in this area because there's been three or four new products registered in Australia over the last two years. There's two products that have come out of Europe that I saw back in 2013 when I was on a GRDC-funded tour over there. And part of the projects that GRDC have funded over the years has actually seen these best quality products be available to Australian growers now to provide the best level of insurance of crop protection. 
Then there are other products that are on the market that have been developed in Australia that include an insecticide, so they can look at controlling other pests that might be in the paddock as well. But these, of course, are a double-edged sword, having a dual-purpose system. There are some negatives of applying baits that also have insecticide in them because they affect the beneficials in the system. The other really exciting thing is the release of a new formulation of iron phosphate delivered in the highest quality pellets or actual baits that are highly attractive, so they are true baits, and are highly palatable. And so that gives another mode of action to growers. That product's also certified organic and has no effect on the beneficials in the system, which I think is really important when choosing baits is also considering the impacts that might be on the natural enemies of slugs, that is the carabid beetles and things like nematodes and ciliates that are also out there in the system. Is it worse now than it has been? Are you looking at this as being a a really poor year coming up for slugs or a very good year for them? So from my perspective, it's a brilliant year for slugs. (laughs) It's fantastic. And I think for most growers in areas where they're used to dealing with slugs, they've been very proactive in managing them. And so their expenditure on protecting their crop has been higher, but they are establishing canola well. I think one of the messages needs to get out is, is the areas where they're not normally used to dealing with slugs is in those areas there are crops that need to be re-sown. Somebody was talking to me the other day, they were around Sarnana, Bendigo region, and there are a lot of paddocks where there's canola missing, whereas the traditional areas, say, around Lake Bolac, you know, there might be one grower that's got one paddock that they've had to re-sow where they've just dropped the ball slightly. So generally the problem is getting worse, and the best way to track that is molluscicide sales, and we've seen an increase in the expenditure growers are making to ensure that slugs don't eat their crops. And there could be another number of factors why this is the case. So let's talk about what growers can do practically when it comes to monitoring, what is the best time to be checking, how do they actually check the paddock effectively, how often do they need to do it, those sorts of really logistical kind of things. So from a practical perspective, There's lots of things growers can do. From a scientific perspective, when I did my PhD, I think you needed to put 350 refuges. So that could be as simple as a tile or there's mats that you can keep wet that tend to work better in dry conditions. You can put 350 of those out per 40 hectares and get a 90% confidence of where the slugs are in the paddock and how many you've got. From a grower's perspective and what's recommended in the UK, it's something like 13 mats per 10 hectares. So for my 40 hectares, I went out to industry, again funded by GRDC, and said, you need to be putting 40 refuges out for every 100 acres you've got. And everyone just looked at me and thought I was crazy. We're not going to do that. We're lucky if we put four out. Then when we were in New South Wales, where the conditions are a bit drier and they have a burrowing species of slug, the black-keeled slug, we put the refuges out and I went back to the trial and the canola had all got eaten, but there were no slugs under the refuges. So it's very difficult to monitor in dry times. So here in South Australia, where we've had a false break and it's been quite dry, it would be a waste of time trying to use refuges to look for slugs at this time. It's very hard to understand the problem If you can't actually monitor something's there, it's actually coming out of the soil when the soil is damp. So I think the increase in use of small moisture probes is one thing that growers can be looking at. 
and seeing when there's water getting down to depth, where the adult slugs are surviving over summer and when they will come to the surface. The other thing they can do is, is when the slugs are surface active and taking baits, they can actually putting strips of bait out and then coming back the next morning and seeing what's dead on those lines of bait. And we're actually looking at now with a commercial operation, a, a company, at setting up a network of cameras that will actually remotely sense slugs when they're active. And that's important because understanding the population you've got by monitoring when it is moist in the previous spring, say in September, October, and also looking at the rainfall in October and November. So good growing conditions for the crop also means good growing conditions for the slugs. So particularly the greyfield slugs can actually get another generation in the springtime if the conditions are moist enough. So that's why I think we're seeing the problems this year is because we've had two favourable springs for their population building up. So I think being proactive and actually monitoring the year before to give you some idea of the population that's there in the paddock and then the next year actually monitoring moisture and putting out some slug bait lines to actually see when they're active and actually taking bait and also ensuring that then you choose the right product at sowing to protect your crop. So if it's a low-risk area in a low-risk year where it's quite dry, favourable for crop establishment, you might use a cheaper bait. But in a year like this where you've got high slug numbers, in areas up in the northeast of Victoria it is very wet, establishment may be retarded, then you would look at using a more expensive product that will give you three to four weeks protection rather than one or two. So are there different types of slugs and what do you have to do as a grower to sort of counteract the different types? So yes, there are different exotic species. There are three main species that are pests to growers. The management of each of those is different. And I'll give the example of the black-keeled slug. Burrows, lays its eggs in the soil. So survives in drier conditions than the other two species. So that has management implications and also where you'll find that species. So when we mapped the distribution, we found the black-heeled slugs in 450 mil rainfall areas. And also where there was traditionally greyfield slugs, we also found the black-heeled slugs on lighter soil types. And so because they emerged out of the ground later, baits applied to control greyfield slugs on a farm where they had 650 mil rainfall, they found they killed all the greyfield slugs, but then there was a light sandy rise where they lost all their canola because the bait didn't go out at the right time for that species. Whereas if you're in New South Wales, you find black-keeled slugs more on your heavy soil types and you find them later. And also the other ones I was alluding to earlier that are harder to monitor because they stay into the ground and basically emerge after they've had four inches of rain, which is 100 mils. So quite often the black-keeled slugs come out at a set time. So the third week of May is usually when we see the black wave of doom, particularly in New South Wales, whereas the grey field slugs this season and last season in southwest Victoria were active all summer. The other species we talk about is the brown field slug. It's not as damaging, but it is often harder to kill. And a lot of growers will say, I didn't get a result with my bait, particularly metaldehyde baits. It has a higher tolerance to metaldehyde, and so although it's less damaging, you might have all these, geez, there's a lot of small slugs in the paddock. They're actually a different species. So they all interact differently. And that's what we mean by understanding the species 
and also the context in which you're applying the controls. The two interact with each other, so it is very important to identify the different species and adjust your management depending on what species are dominating in your paddock for that season. So I guess a key message then is know your slug and get in in advance. Yes, be very proactive, understand the risk factors, and then also understand the context in which you're applying your management to those different species. That was Applied Invertebrate Ecologist, Dr Michael Nash. This is a GRDC podcast. I'm Prue Adams. Thanks for listening. Listening.